morning, everybody. I think it's fair to say that this morning's service is a bit experimental, and it's become a bit more experimental since I arrived this morning because I suddenly discovered, as did Paul, that one of the hymns doesn't have a tune, so we'll have to read that one. Um, and various bits and pieces. My uh, bit for the beginning uh, is not, oh, it's kind of recovering a bit, but it's looking decided like it might not work. So definitely experimental in the true sense of the word. This is no S1 chemistry lesson where you do an experiment to dissolve salt in water and we already know the answer before you do it. This is up there with um, Jeff's translational therapy stuff where you try something and who knows what's going to happen. It's up that end of experimental. So that's just to warn you that if it's a bit bizarre, that's kind of why. But we are going to start off with a very well-known old hymn of praise to God, which is on the sheet and will also appear on the screen behind me. And if you're able to stand when we sing, that would be great. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. we come to God with our prayers of approach, after which we join together in the Lord's Prayer, 
and as is customary, you're invited to say that in whichever language and whichever version is most natural for you, joining our voices with thousands, if not millions of people around the world in praying to God. And there will be a version on the screen if you're unsure of the words. So let's pray together to God now. Holy God, we gather to worship you. Having sung our praises, now we approach you in prayer. We worship you as sustainer, the one who comforts us in times of distress, the one who encourages us when we feel inadequate, the one who inspires us with new ideas, the one who restores us with new energy. We worship you as Redeemer, the one who releases us from the burden of failure, the one who frees us from the shackles of legalism, the one who destroys the bastion of death, the one who liberates us to fullness of life. We worship you as creator, the one who delights in us and deems us good, the one who provides an environment where our needs can be met. the one who can never love us any more than you do now, the one in whom all things are held secure. We worship you, triune God, whose creating, redeeming, sustaining presence we seek, and we join our voices with those of countless others in the words Jesus taught his followers, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to the breast from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. I was listening on the radio this morning to Good Morning Sunday, as I usually do when I wake up, because I'm one of those sad people that listens to Radio 2. And the faith guest today was a Druid. And he was talking about this particular weekend in the summer when we move from July into August and that it's a festival known in Christian circles as Lammas, which picks up on the old first harvest on these islands. Um, The first corn would be gathered at Lammas 
and I've forgotten the Gallic name. Somebody will undoubtedly know it. Um, he was a South of England person, so he said, well, it's, either, it's in Scottish Gaelic and Irish Gaelic, and I thought, mm, OK, I'll let you off as you're in the South of England, because I've kind of learned that you're supposed to say Gallic, but I can't remember the word, so that just pays me back totally for being a bit judgmental to him. Anyway, it was a little bit spooky, because he was talking about exactly what I wanted to talk about that in seeds that are tiny and have to be buried in the ground is all the potential to grow into corn or into flowers. And he even said that this was an image that Christians used. So there you go. This was a good druid. He he knew about the fact that uh, Christians use the image of a seed dying and being buried in order to rise to life. Now, I thought it would be a bit difficult to find some seeds that would be good to plant in the end of July and it was so I had this brainwave I would go and buy some bedding plants and I trotted down to Morrison's on Friday afternoon and I bought a lovely tray of pansies and I took them and put them in the vestry and turned the heat off so it would be nice and cool and they're in need of resurrection there is no doubt about that but I thought it would be really nice for some of our young folk if you'd like to come and plant up a pansy, which you can then take home and enjoy, and hopefully they will recover and um, flower. So does anybody who's um, under 18 fancy coming and planting a pansy? And everybody else can just watch and be jealous. So we'll try and get the least bad ones. So we need to pop some, uh, some of the compost into each of the pots. Can you pop some compost in the pot, Frey? Just start while I'm talking. And then we'll get the plants out and we can put... Let's try and get the, least, the ones that are a little bit more alive looking. Oops. This was supposed to be so easy. So I told you it was all experimental this morning. Arrgh. I think Mr. Morrison's has left these in too long. They've grown, the roots have gone through the bottoms of the thing. Barbara, come and help me out. You know all about plants. I know nothing. So can you all pop some, some soil in your, um, in your plant pot? Yeah, you do it because you know what you're doing. So this is, this is the object lesson for the minister. Don't try and be clever. Get the person who actually knows what they're doing to come and do this. So we, that's it. And then when you're ready, you can pop. Your, do they need to brush this off or can they leave it on? Leave it on. So make a, a hole. You might need to make it quite deep um, and pop your plant in and then we can just give it a little drink. And I have got some sauces. So can any of the adults remember the text? This is me completely winging it now while they plant plants. Any of the adults remember the text about the ear of the wheat? Even remember which gospel it might be in? Because I can remember that much. Oh, they're all looking puzzled. Anne, thank you. Yeah, huh? Yep. Unless an ear of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single ear or lives alone um, in the AV. And this, when was this said? When did Jesus say that? Can anybody remember? It's not part of the Sermon on the Mount, that, but that would have been a good place for it to be because he did talk about flowers and, and, and things growing at that point. It's in John's Gospel, and it's actually one of the things he says fairly late on, 
not right at the end. It's one of the ones he talks about when he's starting to think about helping people to realise that he's not going to be with them forever, that it's not just going to all have a nice happy ending, that things are going to go a bit horribly wrong for him. But that if he dies, then he can rise and there can be a new future, a new hope. And thanks to our wonderful Barbara, it looks like we might have some pansies that might even make it to get home. So that's wonderful. So it was a great idea. It's one of those experiments that didn't quite go the way you thought. So that's the object lesson for me for today. We're going to sing a song now, and this is a song that we need to learn. So whilst the children are just finishing off, I think Paul can teach it to us. this story for about three months so it seemed like a good idea to have this one again this is one of the wonderful stories that reminds us 
about how things that seem to be dead can have new life. And this is a new copy, and this copy will go to Owen after the service because he's our newest baby. And that's kind of a tradition that when we tell this story, if we've got a new baby, we give it to them. Who knows the story of the very hungry caterpillar? Lots of people. Okay. Um, Anybody want to come a bit closer so you can see? You don't have to. I can walk around. That's all right. Give me some exercise. So in the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. Now we'll see if anybody knows this story really well because you can join in with me if you know the words for what comes next. On Monday, he ate through one apple. But he was still hungry. On Tuesday... He ate through two pears. Very good. But he was still hungry. On Wednesday, he ate through three plums. They're not sure over there. Three plums. But he was still hungry. On Thursday... He ate through four strawberries. Thank you, Bonnie. But he was still hungry. Grown-ups are not getting this very well, are they? (laughs) On Friday, he ate through five oranges. Thank you. But he was still hungry. You getting there? On Saturday, he ate through... One piece of chocolate cake, one ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. That night, he had stomachache. Not exactly surprising, was it? The next day was Sunday again. The caterpillar ate through one nice green leaf. And after that, he felt much, much better. Now he wasn't hungry anymore. And he wasn't a little caterpillar anymore. He was now... A big, fat caterpillar. He built a small house called a cocoon around himself. He stayed inside for more than two weeks. Then he nibbled a hole in the cocoon and he came out. And he was... A beautiful butterfly. It's a lovely story, isn't it? It's one of my favourite stories in the whole world. And so it's really nice to give that to Owen 
to be one of the first books on his bookcase. So we're going to move around now to continue to explore together in different ways. If you want to listen to an experimental sermon, um, stay put, because that's what's going to happen in the middle. If you would like to go and decorate um, a picture frame, um, go up onto the mezzanine. Um, We don't have any helpers this morning, so it's going to be definitely self-guided. But there are picture frames and things to stick on them, and there's a text you can put inside if you want to. If you would like to colour or do puzzles, the back area um, over there is where to go. If you're very, very tiny and you just need somewhere to go and let off a bit of steam, then the memorial room is available for that. So we'll have some music. Just feel free to move around, go where you would like to go, and then we'll carry on worshipping God and exploring a Bible story together. Okay, our our Bible reading is John chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, was ill. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with a year. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. The sister sent Jesus a message. Lord, your dear friend is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, The final result of this illness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God. And it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. Yet, when he received the news that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than three kilometers from Jerusalem, and many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them over their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life, Jesus told her. I know, she replied, that he will rise to life on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And all those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she answered. I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here, she told her, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when she saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people who were with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? He asked them. Come and see, Lord, they answered. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, he gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Reflection today comes with a Marmite warning. Marmite is something you love or you hate, but you can't just be ambivalent about. There's no in between. You may love this reflection today, and you may hate this reflection today, and either of those is absolutely fine by me. The point about Marmite is it makes no apologies for what it is or for how it's received. And that's true also of this reflection. There will be some images on the screen in the course of the reflection. There will be some music. The way you react to those and receive them is however it is. Um, What I would say is that the music will also have uh, little captions on the screen with it, so might be handy to have your eyes open and if you can to look that way at that point and I'll try to step back so I wonder can any of you remember what you were doing on the evening of Good Friday 2006 10 years ago don't expect you to do it's okay I was sitting in my living room um, in Leicestershire as it happened to be 
I was watching a contemporary version of The Passion of Christ broadcast live from Manchester. And for me, as somebody who had lived in Manchester for a number of years and come to love Manchester in a similar way to the way I have come to love Glasgow, this was spine-tingling. It was an hour telling the story of the passion of Jesus, culminating in his arrest, and he was taken away to be executed. And the narrator talked us through the mechanics of execution, which are brutal. And there was one more song sung by the character of Mary, his mother. And then, because Mancunian humour is not unlike Glaswegian humour, he said, well, that wasn't the happiest of endings, was it? But after all, this is Manchester. Thank you very much from Albert Square in the heart of this this great city on Good Friday 2006. Thank you very much and uh, good night. I am the resurrection and the life. Words spoken at funerals. Words trusted to offer hope when it seems everything is hopeless. Words that are overworked and under-reflected upon. Words first spoken in the context of very real human grief as two sisters mourned their brother. The story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus is very familiar. It's a story that leaves us, or at least it should leave us, with a lot of questions. Why did Jesus delay when the message reached him? Why, when we pray for people to be healed, aren't they? And why is it that sometimes, despite our own very best efforts, we arrive too late for whatever it might be. And is it actually enough when a loved one dies to cite, as I do at every funeral I conduct, the sure and certain hope of resurrection to eternal life in Christ our Lord? I'm not going to try and answer those questions. I'm going to go on a first of a number of detours, and the first one I'm going to play with a couple of Greek words. We've been doing that a lot recently. Um, It's been fun for me. You're probably fed up with it, but there we go. There are two Greek words used in the Bible when we talk about resurrection. The first word that is used is egairo. You don't need to remember these. It's not important. 
That's the most straightforward to translate, and it literally means get up or stand up. So when it gets used to talk about resurrection, they will usually use it in conjunction with two other words, et necron, which means out of death. Necron is the world we get in the start of Necropolis, the city of the dead. So Jesus is described as rising from death, getting up from death. The second word is anastasis, and that can also mean just get up, but usually it means specifically resurrection. So you don't have to add any extra explanation. It just says Jesus anastasis, if we put it into kind of English verbs. And so another little diversion that I did uh, many years ago, I was preparing a sermon, and I looked at the word anastasis, and I, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's connected to the name Anastasia. Well, of course it is. Um, the origin of the name Anastasia is anastasis, so it's a name that means resurrection. And when I looked into this, I discovered there were all sorts of variants of that name, one of which was Anstey, which, I can't even see Graham, um, anybody who's lived in Leicestershire will know it's a name of a place name in Leicestershire which was quite near where I was. And I started to wonder, well, what might it mean to be a place called resurrection? Jesus said, I am the resurrection, the life. So what does that look like in this place for these people? And those are good questions. Those are important questions. But I'm not going to go that way today either. Playing with Greek words and asking myself questions about their relevance or application, caused me to go back and get a Greek interlinear Bible and check the reading from John that we've just heard. When Jesus finally gets to Bethany, he's met by Martha, and he and she have a deep theological discussion about death and resurrection. Now, bear in mind that Martha is the one who was flustered and worried about many things in the story we hear at Luke and got told off by Jesus. It's pretty surprising that she has this deep theological conversation with him about resurrection, but she does. And I've preached on that in this church. I remember it vaguely. It was what happened next that really caught my attention. Martha went back to the house and she spoke to Mary. And after Martha had spoken to her, we read that Mary got up quickly and went to him, to Jesus. So which Greek word did the writer use? Well, not egyro, but anastasis. So you could translate that sentence as saying she quickly resurrected and went to him. Except that doesn't make sense, does it? Another diversion. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, noted for her work on death and dying, and specifically on grief, spoke about what she termed little deaths. Whilst the death of a loved one is, of course, one of the most traumatic experiences of life, if not the most traumatic, and whilst the work of grief it entails is huge, it's actually the scale and not the essence that overwhelms us. Little deaths, the smaller losses that arise in life's journey from birth onwards, 
Some of them are unchosen and traumatic, so redundancy, unemployment, breakdown of a relationship, serious injury or life-changing illness. All of those are little deaths in their own right. But others could be the unexpected consequences of a positive choice, something that we felt happy about. You change job, you move house, you get married, and there are losses or little deaths associated with those too, or they can be. From a playground fallout with a school friend to the death of a pet, from the loss of autonomy that arises from infirmity or the emptiness syndrome of adult children leaving home, how we experience them and how we are able to work through them all affect our reaction when we're faced with physical death whether that's of somebody we love or even our own. Little deaths are no less real just because they are little. And into those situations too, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, which may or may not be very helpful. So far, so good. But now I'm going to take the top off of my metaphorical jar of Marmite. How about we play another word game, this time in English, and instead of I am the resurrection and the life, we have this. I get knocked down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Is that a plausible or reasonable paraphrase of what Jesus says? Is it legitimate to hear his claim not only in an eternal and spiritual way, but also in a very earthy way? That somehow he is with us, and that with us and for us, he gets knocked down, and gets up again. If the concept of little deaths is real, what about the concept of little resurrections? And is it possible, without trivialising the reality of any of what we experience, like Nelson Mandela did, to express it like this? I get knocked down, Perhaps the song with its loud, upbeat tone feels too glib, too flippant, too irreverent. And maybe it is. And yet, I would like to suggest that intentionally or otherwise, it expresses something important. A sense of resilience, of determination, of refusal to give up, of refusal to lie down and die. Perhaps if I could quote an older, somewhat gentler song, 
The whole pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start all over again idea is not so far off the concept of a little resurrection. And perhaps it's precisely into these places of pain, bewilderness, bewilderment, I've just invented a new word, bewilderment, unexpected sadness, grief and mourning, that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Or more crudely, I get knocked down, And so just for a moment or two, I'd like to invite you to recall a little death of your own, a time of loss or grief, struggle or pain, a time when you felt well and truly knocked down. It can be recent, it can be a long time ago, it can be something that you now think is really trivial or something that is still significant for you. You don't have to share this with anybody, but just for a minute or two, think of a time when you felt knocked down and ponder that. And as you think about that time, what was it that helped, or if its current is helping, you to get through that in ways that are life-giving or life-affirming? And is it possible that those were the work of God or of Jesus? If you're thinking of something in the past, is there any sense of a little resurrection from that place? Or if you're thinking of something ongoing, what might a little resurrection look like from that place? Is there any sense of hope or encouragement in that recollection which you can carry into the future or in that possibility that helps you to face the present. writer of Proverbs said, for though a righteous man, righteous person falls seven times, he or she rises again. 
Might it be the case then that I am the resurrection and the life is less of a divinity claim, less of fact to be accepted, and more of an attitude, a life choice? Or perhaps better, perhaps it is both of these. Maybe it is a divine promise, a hope through death and beyond, and also a human attitude in the present and how we approach the inevitability of loss in a way that is more life-affirming, more life-giving. Existence is the mechanics of getting through each day, of endeavouring to fulfil our basic physical needs. But existence isn't life. It's not living. Emotions are the responses we experience to the events around us or in which we participate. But even emotions are not life. They're not living. Life is about flourishing, about becoming, about making meaning and discovering potential. Living means integrating our experiences and our emotions within a greater whole in ways that are, if only viewed retrospectively, enriching and encouraging. If Jesus is life, then in some way he's part of that process of integration. In some way, Jesus participates in the reality we experience. In some way... Jesus is an agent of change, offering hope. Resurrection and life. Resurrection in life. Resurrections throughout life. Perhaps that's what Jesus is talking about. And perhaps that is why Mary, in her time of grief, resurrected and went to Jesus. Perhaps this is a word for us today. However we feel, whatever the little deaths may be that we are experiencing or may be experiencing. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Or, as the gospel writer tells us, Jesus said it. I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. We come now to the hymn without a tune. So this is the hymn that we're going to read together. And perhaps there's something good about reading because it is uh, a little slower perhaps. Uh, We're not going to rush through this as fast as we can. We haven't got to worry about where the notes go. We can just focus on the words. So we'll remain seated and we'll read this together. When grief is raw and music goes unheard and thought is numb, we have no polished phrases to recite. In Christ we come to hear the old familiar words, I am the resurrection, I am life. God, give us time for gratitude and tears and make us free to grieve Remember, honour and delight. 
Let love be strong to bear regrets and banish fears. I am the resurrection. I am life. The height and breadth of all that love prepares soars out of time, beyond our speculation and our sight. The cross remains to ground the promise that it bears. I am the resurrection. I am life. All shall be judged, the greatest and the least, and all be loved till every hurt is healed or wrong set right. In bread and wine we taste the great homecoming feast, and in the midst of death we are in life. Let us pray. Dear God, today we have considered the story of Lazarus. At various times in our lives, we have all experienced loved ones suffering illness and sometimes death. We've had to cope. We've also had to cope with other sorts of loss. In these circumstances, we have to cope without your physical presence to guide and comfort us as we struggle. Please guide us and help us to understand and believe that what we have on earth is not the end. Please help us to support each other with sensitivity and practicality. We pray for those who have been bereaved recently as a result of war and terrorism. Please help them to feel your presence. When bad things happen, often our first thought is for revenge. Please be with national and military leaders that they will find a measured response and that we as individuals will do what we can to support this. Please comfort us when we are frightened by these things as we hear of them in the news. We pray for our own political leaders, UK-wide and in Scotland. We continue to go through a period of turmoil. Please help us all to make this as positive as it can be, to be constructive rather than divisive. Please be with us all and help us to know your presence in the week ahead. Amen.
So let's pray together. God, we do believe that you are present with us in the whole of life, its beginning, its living and its ending, just as you will be with us beyond this life. But in the midst of this life, with all its complications, we offer these gifts of money and we offer ourselves that each be employed in the work of sharing hope and speaking and being good news In the name of Christ. Amen. It seems inappropriate to have a service on the theme of resurrection, life and resurrection, without this great final hymn. Thine be the glory, risen conquering son, endless is the victory, thou or death hast won. Please stand if you can as we sing. As we leave this place and return to the everyday challenges of life, where events and circumstances may knock us down, may we know the safe embrace of God's love, the companionship of Christ, 
and the resilience of the Holy Spirit, now and always. Amen.